Hey, this is Akuya Jamfi, and you're listening to TBB Talks, a podcast where we from the British Blacklist bring you our conversations with creative black folk from the UK and across the globe. We'll be talking to up and comings, headline popping, and the legends from screen, stage, music, and literature. Basically, if they're creative, we'll be talking to them. And we hope to shed some insight into their lives, the work that they choose, who their inspirations are, how they stay motivated, and more importantly, how they keep sane being um, black in the arts. Yeah, I'm so world. rubbish at these things. My um, studio guy is getting mad because <laughs> he's like, what are you doing? I'm the same. It's, it's literally, I, I can't cope with this stuff. It's too technical. Okay, so hi, Reese. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm good. How are you? I'm flustered after trying to set up this stuff. I'm used to my old <laughs> studio, and now I'm in this other room, and it's all crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm great, and it's I'm just yeah, really great to see you on your acting rise. How are you feeling since? Well, wait, let me introduce you properly. So this is Reese Noy. How do you say your surname? Noy. Noy, yeah. Okay, where's that surname from? Ghana. Oh, is it? Are you a Ghanaian? Yeah. Oh, it's mm-hmm. a say. Do you speak any other language? No, okay. I'm not that Ghanaian. Okay, but you're still there. I'm you're, a British Ghanaian. You're British. Me too, to be fair. I'm Ghanaian, but yeah, yeah, I'm Ghanaian. But um, I suppose I can speak the language really inefficiently, and I get laughed at whenever I go to Ghana. My mum laughs at me. My sisters laugh at me. It's all um, very embarrassing, but I do try at times. Um, but I won't embarrass myself and uh, <laughs> <laughs> or show myself anymore. But yeah, have you been to Ghana? I haven't. You need to go. Well, I really want to. I really want to take my mum in the next twelve months. That's like my little, um, my little goal to take my mum back. Yeah. yeah. It's nice. Is your mum gone in? Yeah. Oh. So we still got we still got family. But the problem for us why we've never felt the need to go back is because our family come. We have family in London that live between Ghana and London. Yeah. So everybody comes back and forth. Um, so it's just never been ur- It's never felt urgent to go and visit. You know. Yeah, because everyone's here. It I get sounds that. ridiculous. And now I live here, I'm like, God, I wish I would have gone rather than in England. Oh, sorry, you live in America now? Yeah, yeah, I live in LA. Oh, okay, when did you move out? Full time. So I first came four years ago. Okay. And I, honestly, I came as like a proper Brit. I was like, there's no way I'm going <laughs> to like it. It's not going to be my kind of place. Let me just go and say that I've been. Yeah. Took it off. Like, I was, I was so cynical. Mm. And the first few days I hated it. I was like, everybody's so forward. Everybody's in your face. Everybody's really over the top. And then once I relaxed, I was like, this is really nice, actually. Oh, so you've become an LA person. I'm a proper Angelino now. <laughs> oh, is that what they're called? Angelinos? Um, yeah. Oh, okay. I, never knew, I swear to God, I've never heard that before. Yeah, that's what they call them. Okay, so an Angelino. And what does that mean? Well, how have um, you changed? Like, I'm just so chilled. Okay. And I didn't. I don't realise until British friends visit, and then I'm like, God, you're so British. You're so like cynical, and I'm like one of these optimists now. I'm like, glass is completely half full. Everything's great, <laughs> and it's about how you look at things. Oh wow, that's, I mean, that's that's for the better. So, okay, so you've actually gone into the other question that I was going to ask about. You know, the British talent drain going off to America to find better success, and was that your intention when leaving? Were, were you like, okay? I need to progress my career. I need to get to America, or was it just by chance that you happened to let let me try America? It was it was pure um, yeah survival in it, which sounds dramatic because obviously it's the acting industry, not a war. But um, <laughs> the way it was was so I never was one of those actors that was like I want to go to Hollywood. I'd never as a kid I never was like I want to be in the films. Yeah. I loved making British TV. I love I love like gritty northern dramas. That's like where I cut my teeth, mm. and I enjoyed it. I loved it, and it was like five years ago, I think, or six years ago. In a relationship, and I remember saying to my ex, I'm, I need to do something because I could see what was happening already. Like, 
you know, I've gone from sort of playing lead roles and within a year then it was suddenly like, oh, can you come in and do this few lines in this? And I was like, uh, I could, but, you know, you know what I can do. And it's like, yeah, 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 but just, you know, just do this like for now. And that was happening more. And then it was suddenly, it has been a year of that. And I was like, okay, this doesn't feel progressive. Yeah. And it was a, it was a genuine like, oh God, I, I need to do something. I need to make a choice because I can't, I can't drown it. Like it was, it was honestly like, I'm going to have to go and try LA. And that was how I felt like, it wasn't like, I, I can't wait. It was, let me just, I'm going to have to do it because I need to figure out how to stay afloat. What, why do you think that is? Was it, ra- do you think it's racially skewed or it's just literally work was too competitive and there were, you know, only so many roles for the characters, or the, I mean, or the roles that you wanted to go for? For years, I tried to be like, I don't think it's about race. But then at the same time, I was I was flourishing at that point. Yeah. And I remember when I was like 15, working with an older black actor, he said to me, when you get a bit older, that might change. I think you'll notice that will change. And I was like, no, like, no, I barely even go in for roles that are, you know, listed as black or... And then he was like, no, 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 I think that might change. And then within three years, it had. And I noticed that I was definitely going for roles now that were listed as mixed or black or and I, and I hate to admit because I like to think that it's not that and I also you know we also have that weird thing sort of ingrained in us where it's like well, you don't you don't play the rage card so I used yeah. to like, no I don't think it is that I don't think it is that but the reality is I'm like all the black and um, mixed race actors around me you know their careers in the UK have they've, they've had these peaks and then suddenly it's like where do we go whereas like my white counterparts have absolutely you know gone on to shine and continue to work and flourish and gain all these huge roles and so you can't help but go okay there's this to do with the fact that i'm not white i hear that um, and you're not the only you're not alone in that thinking but i i mean with me doing the british blacklist what over the years what i've seen is it's exactly that you might get a few brilliant lead roles and gritty characters and then it's like the creatives get a bit confused and like okay so what do we do with this person now and there seems to be a bit of a ceiling for progression and then it is literally everyone goes off to America to try their luck and it seems like there are a lot more opportunities so you've obviously you've had some leading roles in like great series like Waterloo Road Grange Hill you were in Game of Thrones how did how did Game of Thrones come about were you in the progression of your career then or did you feel like oh this happened during a bit of a lull actually and okay I've known Natalie Emanuel for years and I'd never really watched Game of Thrones, if, if I'm completely honest. Um, I thought it was, I know, and I, but I thought it was like another period drama and I had a little bit of period fatigue. I was like, I just, and, but I knew I knew Natalie had signed on, obviously, because I knew her. So I knew, I was aware when Natalie had joined. Mm. And I'd kind of not, like, as I say, I'd not watched it. And then Natalie posted a picture. I don't even think I've told Natalie this, actually. <laughs> um, but she posted a picture on set with Jacob and I was like, oh, I said, they're still in it. And I, ge- I genuinely rang my agent that week and was like, why have I never auditioned for Game of Thrones? And he was like, oh, you know, it comes in drips and drabs and da-da-da. And, and he's like, do you want me to keep an eye out? And I said, yeah, it's like, I want to be seen for Game of Thrones. Yeah. So a couple of weeks later, this role comes in and it's like two scenes and he was like, there's this role, like, do you, want, you know, you wanted to go for it. So I was like, okay, okay. And I went and I didn't think I'd done well and I got a bit like weird in the room. So I, I, I sort, of, sort of like, I was living in Manchester at the time. Went back up to Manchester, and then they called me that night and basically offered me the role. And the next morning, I was in Croatia. Wow! And we shot it, and I didn't—I didn't even tell anybody I'd done it because I was again being as cynical as I was back then. I was like, "Oh, it'll, you know, it'll probably end up cut out. I'm probably not going to be in the final cut, so I won't even mention it to anyone." And then before the series aired, they called me and was like, "We really liked what you did. If we wrote something for you, would you come back?" So that was how I ended up going back to do Mossador then, because my initial character wasn't Mossador. Okay. It was just sort of it was just sort of like the leader of the freed slaves. 
so yeah, that was how Game of Thrones came about. It was very much, you know, I asked for it and it came. So hold on. So when you were in it, okay, did then did you become a fan? Were you, you obviously went through the whole, you went through every single episode. So were you a massive fan by the end of it? Or were you like, I've done my part, um, contributed to the Game of Thrones canon, I'm off? No, I thought, I like, <laughs> working on it, I thought it was a beautiful job. It was the biggest job I've ever done and still very intimate, still very caring, full of love. And everybody was really, really personable, even, you know, the execs were, you know, knew who I was, came up, spoke to me. And that's really rare on, you know, on a job like that vast. You know, it's three, country, three countries at any one time. And But, yeah, no, I appreciate it. When I watched it, I was like, wow, this is epic. Yeah. Is, you know, it's like nothing I've ever seen before. Glad that I was thought that I'd done that because I I would have probably let it just go away and never never really paid attention because I always think no I like real in the same way that I said earlier you know I I love to be in sort of like gritty yeah um, so it opened up my world to a different kind of television which I never I always kind of thought wasn't for me which probably again goes back to the racing because I'd never seen myself in shows like that that's really interesting because I've um I, I'm a massive Game of Thrones fan however I was I have been one of the cynical few that have been like well the positioning of black characters in Game of Thrones and general fantasy shows are not very good, usually slaves, and they all they have yeah. very small parts. And I thought that, you know, with one thing that we should be able to be have free reign as in a fantasy show, because you're literally making up these characters, even if there is some like traditional folklore. So I, I can understand why you would feel like, well, this isn't for me, but I'm glad you had the role. And I'm, uh, you know, were, were you happy with the ending? Um, <laughs> Is that too controversial to ask? So again, I've got to be really honest. So I didn't, I didn't see season six and seven. Oh my gosh! Why are you not addicted? But I did see season eight. Okay. And there was aspects of it that I really liked. And do you know I'm biased as well because I know people on it. So I just, yeah. I was just filled with pride for all the work they've done over the years and how much work everyone had put into it. And I was. I was really glad that they'd, they'd come to an end of it, if that makes sense. I hear you. Yeah, I feel like that's a, a nicely diplomatic response. Yes. <laughs> I was really proud of everyone, and I, I know how much how much work they put in, you know, um, yeah. to that final season. Yeah, I agree. Well, I kind of agree. But anyway, so you've got to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, slightly agree. Um, so, the big... The, I mean, so after Game of Thrones, you're off to America, yeah. bit jaded, yeah. trying your luck... And then the first role you get when you're in America is what? So then the first, of course, the irony, the first job I booked was a short film that shot in Mallorca. And then I booked an Australian film. Um, so, of course, I was like, what's the universe doing to me? I've moved here and all the jobs I'm getting are, are in different countries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, and then the weird thing is, so what I don't think of, I, I didn't talk about it on the red carpet or anything, but um, or on Twitter or anything like that. But what actually happened was I bumped into an actor I know in Manchester who mentioned Ava. This was like 2016, and I was still living in the UK at that point. And we had not seen each other in years. And he's like, oh, I was in LA, and I bumped in, I met Ava DuVernay. And um, I was like, oh, God, yeah, you know, she's doing a lot. And I went home that night and followed her on Twitter. So I've, like, kept up to, you know, what she was doing. And then at one point in 2017, she posted a tweet that said, I'm about to make the Central Park Five. And I responded and was like, amazing, because I, I knew the story okay. and I'd seen the documentary. Um, and she liked it and that was it, you know, that nothing else was said. And so then I forgot about it. And then last year, I think it was around April, I get a call from the manager here. He's like, Ava DuVernay wants to see you. So I immediately was like, it's for Central Park Five, isn't it? Which was obviously wow. what it was titled then. And then he was like, yeah, yeah. So I went in and she was in the room. Um, but she didn't know that she didn't remember the tweet. Like I, I told her about it, and she'd not remembered. But I just thought it was really interesting that you know that had happened. 
so what, what did she say to like how did she find you what how how come it was you. So this was, I thought it was because I knew she was a, a huge fan of Game of Thrones. So I thought it was possibly from that and assumed as such. Because basically I ended up auditioning for three different characters okay. for this. And it was over like two months and she kept saying, I want you in it. I just don't know where, where I want to put you yet. And every time I'd go in, she'd call me and be like, can you read this character? Can you do this? Can you add this to it? So then when I, after my final chemistry read with one of the other actors, I came out and the assistant said to me, just so you know, you were always... What, like one of my favourites to be in this as soon as the script came in she said I saw you in a Shakespearean thing and I always remembered you and then when I saw you in Game of Thrones I knew it was the same guy now this Shakespearean thing that she referenced was a film that I did in 2000 called My Kingdom how old were you then? I was like 11 oh it was, my god it was a, it was, yeah oh, wow <laughs> it was it, it was a modern day uh, King Lear with Richard Harris and I played the fool in this retelling it I played his grandson who was um, Jewel Heritage his mother was one of um, Leia's daughters it was set in Liverpool and yeah so she'd seen me in that and remembered me and then as soon as she saw me in Game of Thrones knew it was the same person and that was it she was like I wanted to get I knew I had to get you in for this that's a little bit of a bit of a spiritual moment because the fact that you imagine you're in Manchester you're feeling jaded you're just like, what's going on with my career? And then someone's got you locked in their mind. Like when their next project happens, they're going to get you in it. But and you know, who knew it'd be something as um, provocative and politically uh, challenging as something like this? And you said you knew about the story from before. How did you stumble on it? Because it's still it was way before your time, and obviously it, it was yeah. an American story as well. I honestly, I I don't know. I can't. Mm. I couldn't be sure how I knew about it. But I do, I've always I love documentaries. I sort of I'm obsessed with watching documentaries. Okay. And I think I knew, and I definitely knew the story from some sort of um, journalist piece. You know, there was there was a written piece that I'd read about it. Yeah. And then the documentary popped up. I think on I don't know where I saw it, but I saw it and was like, oh my god, I know that story. Let me watch it. So as soon as it was announced, I I genuinely when I tweeted A for that time, I didn't even consider that I might be seen. I was just like, wow, this. This needs to be told, because whenever I'd ref- I'd mention it to people, they'd always be like, mm, "Yeah, those kids that did that thing," and I'm like, "Well, yeah, they didn't do it, but you mm. should watch the documentary." That's yeah. what I used to say. I feel really proud to have been able to tell the story, and I was reluctant, if I'm honest, to play Mateus because I, you know, you kind of like I want to be on the right side of this. And that's what I was going to ask because obviously, <laughs> it's such a massively. Im- I mean. I watched the documentary, I knew about the story. Again, same like you, kind of you stumble upon these things. And I think, especially being in the UK, we do get overloaded with American, African-American narratives. So things like yeah. that, like, you, you pick up on. And after the documentary, I was heartbroken watching specifically the one in 2017 that was on Netflix, um, directed by Justin Reisenberg. Reisenberg? I, I said his name correctly. So that one was bad enough. So when I heard, I also heard Ava was going to do it. And I thought, OK, this is going to be brilliant because she tackled the 13th documentary so well and Selma so yeah. well. So, um yeah, these boys sit on our chest and sit on sit on the world's, you know, chest as something a really massive wrongdoing, and then you have Mateus, who is a terrible character, a terrible person. However, it's still a role that you know that someone needs to take. So I can under, I was going to ask yeah. you, yes, you I can imagine you were reluctant, but so how did you overcome that? reluctance and then what did you do to even because he has to be humanized before you potentially destroy him and turn him into and he, he wasn't that bad in the in the story like he did he wasn't like a monster like, no you like, didn't see you didn't see you know his crimes or exactly. anything like that and also mostly when we saw him he'd found that was after he'd found god okay um, okay okay yeah 
So he finds God at some point during during his time in prison. He's you know um, becomes Christian, and but you know I'm sure you I'm sure you know about how like heinous his crimes were. Before. Yeah, yeah. So she called me and was like, I wanted to say, and I knew what she was going to say. That was the weird thing. It's like a twenty minute phone call, and she's like, and she's explaining, and she's saying and this and this, and I'm like, I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> And I hadn't even read for Matthias. I didn't even know Matthias was going to be featured, but I just had this weird feeling that that was what she was going to say to me. Oh, wow. um, and I was like, I, I don't know, Ava. Like, I don't know. And she was like, we'll have a think and see. What, and I was like, I just honestly, I was gutted. I was like, I just don't think I want to play. I didn't. And my first thing was, it's, it's going to sound funny, but I, I was like, I didn't move across the world to play a brown rapist. Like, I hear you. That was, that, that was genuinely what I said to my mum. And my mum was like, I know, I know. Because my mum really struggled. She didn't want to watch it. But... Yeah, so then I was like, but at the same time, when I did take it and then I was like, okay, well, I need to do it well. I was like, he was 16 himself when he started, 15, when he started doing these crimes. What turns a boy into someone who can do that and who, what happened to him to make him do that? And that was sort of how I humanised him and tried to understand him. There's no, there's no fact supporting it, but, you know, I know that he suggested that he was, he was heavily abused as a child. So I think, you know, that sort of explains the way his life went. I think, yeah, because I was going to ask kind of along those lines about, because that was my perspective as well, that we forget that this story happened to teenagers. I mean, when you look at the yeah. documentary, you see them really in the interrogation room. And yeah. though it's years later when Mateus confesses, and he's a man, he was a boy at the time. And and I ex- thought exactly the same thing. What drives someone at that age to do those brutal crimes? What drives someone? And it was an environment where crack was rife, poverty was rife. So politics were, you know, at loggerheads with the black community and um, Hispanic community. So it wasn't a pretty time for anyone. So someone could easily come out quite warped and damaged, but that's not to excuse his crimes. But he was a teenage no. boy as well. Um, victim to probably society at large at that time. So, I mean, you did a great... And you've got... I'm surprised. I shouldn't be surprised, I suppose, but you've got a very strong accent. So how did you tackle the American accent? Or is this something that... Yeah, (laughs) you tackled it quite well. You're very believable. Thank you. Um, So, I don't know. I had, like, a session. But I had a session a couple of months before we shot. Okay. um, With a voice coach. But I actually just listened to his tapes. It was more like a, a sort of, like, call and recite. Okay. kind of method because um, I had I had like a few minutes of audio and then a few minutes of video to okay. watch of him and that was essentially what I did for my to get the accent down but then also living here you, you're exposed to that anyway yeah so it wasn't too much of a stretch yeah but it's funny that you say I've got a strong accent because here often people don't hear it until I tell them but I think oh, really? it's because they look at me and don't expect me to talk like that everyone assumes I'm Latino here ah uh, but they're not like okay what part of <laughs> Which part of Latin land are you like from? How do they? <laughs> why, <laughs> because well, every uh, everyone's has a different idea. This is the weird thing. So this is another thing because obviously in the UK I was always so aware that I, I wasn't white. Yeah, you, you know, like in castings and for years. And this is what I was telling a friend recently, and she was a gas. She this was like a, a white actress that I know that you know has worked for years, and she was genuinely shocked. She was like, I can't believe. I said, yeah, for like years, I was told, yeah, sorry, we're just not considering, you know, ethnic minorities, wow. as we would say, um, for this for this role, like maybe this one. Or and I remember once getting into the room and I was so I was so upset. Um, I'd been sent, it was a complete mix-up. They'd sent me the script, and obviously I won't go into what it was. Okay. Um, but they sent and they sent me and, and, and asked me to read for the lead, and I was like, okay, yeah, that's fine. 
and I get in and I know the director and I'm, you know, and, and this character was perfect for me. So I'm about to start reading. I'm like, okay, so it's for this character. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 that's not, that's not who it's for. And I went, oh, who is it? So they told me and I was like, oh, you mean the guy that has three scenes that's massively underwritten and yeah. there's nothing to him. And I genuinely in the room, and I think it was just because I was so upset, and I said, is this to fill like a 13% quota? You said and it the room went them. silent. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, because I was just so upset because I, I, I just couldn't understand it, and I was, and I was sick of it. Mm. Um, and my friend was just like, I can't believe that's happened. And I was like, that happened for years, and they don't say that anymore, obviously, because it's, it's, it's not allowed, it wouldn't be allowed. But that was, for years, it was like, oh, yeah, sorry, not, we're not considering for this role. Um, so for me, it was like I was always aware that I wasn't white. But then coming here, people are like, what are you? You know, no one really knows where to put me. And that's interesting in because, because that's this is the conversation again with diversity and representation. And also there's a, a lot more of the mixed race narrative coming through because when I, in my generation, mixed race people were, were gathered with the black people. We were all one. Where now it seems like mixed race people are defining their identity in the UK because they're not seen i guess it's trying to find your lane or are you black are you white and where do you claim your yeah. space and though it's more easy to claim black than it is to claim white well you can't usually you can't even claim white if you're a mixed race but you can claim, claim black it's very yeah. interesting that in america this conversation is developing even more so and i was i we would assume especially people, though the darker actors that if you're mixed race or light skin you have it better and that the fact that you can maybe as play a wider a range of characters i suppose you can play hispanic you can play middle eastern probably uh, or something like that and mixed race on top of that and be black but yet that's still a hindrance for your career do you find or there's times when i'll, I'll get a meeting through and it says african-american and i'm like i know that i am not what they perceive as african-american well i'm not for a start anyway because obviously i'm i'm definitely not yeah african-american but um also, when I get there, I'm like, these guys are black. Like, you know, I don't look like these guys. And this isn't, I, they don't want to show this image of African-American guys to the world because I am light-skinned. Yeah. But it's, but I'm at the same time, I'm like, but it's fine. But just, I don't think I can be thrown into that because it's rare that they're going to cast me as that. But then on the street, generally people who aren't in the industry, you know, I've had people tell me what race I am here. <laughs> okay. like I, had, I had, honestly, I had a woman, because genuinely I'd never been 